The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Catholic Home on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Teresa, and on this episode, I'm joined by Jacinta and Stephen Mocco of Eureka Wellness. On this episode, Jacinta and Stephen will talk about traditional medicinal herbs and herbal remedies and their importance in every Catholic's home. Hello, Jacinta and Stephen. Welcome to the Catholic Home. Thanks, Teresa. Good to be here today. Thanks for having us on your show. Pleasure. So, Stephen, would you please tell our listeners about yourself? and your interest in herbal medicine. I'm a traditional Catholic convert from the Novus Ordo, and I attend the uh, Sedevacantus Mission here in Australia under Father Gilchrist. And uh, anyways, I became interested in herbs as a young, not a really young boy, but maybe after high school or so. Started following a herbalist named uh, Dr. Christopher. He was from Utah. Uh, he ran a school called the School of Natural Healing, and. Uh, my mom was uh, pretty big into him. She had his books. And so I grew up with mom using all these herbal formulas on me, echinaceas and bone seals. As I later grew up and became more involved or more aware of the politics between healing and disease, I learned that there were some things that they were trying to take away from us. Um, mm. They, as in pharmaceutical companies, um, senators who have lobbyists from the pharmaceutical companies and they want to control a lot of the natural health industry and people getting well so i decided that in order to maintain this there's a lot of different naturopathic schools and different schools and stuff out there for people to get into that want to stay healthy and remain healthy a lot of them also deal with supplements and vitamins and stuff. And these were the things that they were try, trying to uh, control. In some countries already, they want people to have prescriptions for if, vitamins. I think in France now, you need a prescription for echinacea, for example. Yeah, exactly. I'm kidding. No? Yeah. And so they want to be able to have a prescription for vitamin C, vitamin D pills, antioxidants and stuff. So something I saw coming down the pike and I noticed that if I looked in at naturopathic schools, there was a lot of them dealing with supplements and this type of natural healing. So I was thinking that the herbs was something that they couldn't control, being as they grow outside nature and nature. It's just something that they just can't take it. They can't come through our backyards and arrest us for having dandelion in our lawn. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Could be a trouble tracer. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> So I figured if there was a time that when, you know, things came disarray, the planet, wars or whatever, anything that just happened, that this would be something that we should know. And at least, if not everybody should know, but at least one person after, one person in every community to help the community in the, these areas. You look in war-torn countries, um, a lot of hospitals get torn down. They just can't take care of everybody. If you have the herbal knowledge to where you can just go outside and start looking around for things that heal people and help people, that is where I wanted to learn. Yeah. So I just felt like I needed to know. So I went to uh, Dr. John Christopher, and his his motto was an herbalist in every home, a master in every community. So I went to his school, and I learned how to, to use herbs and um, a lot of other natural healing methods. He wasn't specifically herbalists. But he didn't know a lot about herbs, but he used a lot of a lot of herbs in his remedies and with other things. And then after I finished school, I got a qualifications as an herbalist there from his school and still working on the master herbalist course to finish that. And I moved to Australia after I married Jacinta. I started my business called Eureka Wellness, which is Eureka's where I'm from. Eureka also means um found it. Yes, like it is in um the in the gold yeah, gold, gold rush. rush. Gold rush, yes. 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 Yeah. So Eureka is in with found health. Yes. Or the means to manage or try to achieve yes. a manageable level of health. 
Exactly. Now, Jacinda, would you please tell us a little about yourself? Sure. Well, I was fortunate enough to have been raised as a cradle Catholic. My grandparents on my mum's side left the Nova Sordo when all the changes were being introduced, um, and I've been attending Mass at the Australian Sabacantus Mission pretty much since it began here. Um, other than that, I've also been a high school teacher for a number of years, um, and I met Stephen a few years ago. We met online, actually. Uh, we then got married, and we've got a little eight-month-old girl. I've always been quite interested in alternative medicine, and after I married Stephen, that interest did become more pronounced. Um, and I don't have the qualifications that he does, but I have been able to learn a lot through exposure to it and seeing the healing abilities that herbs have firsthand. And when it gets down to it, it is actually quite basic. You don't need to know Latin names of herbs or anything like that to be able to see how it heals. And it's, it is God put it there for us. He doesn't expect us to have the qualifications or some sort of doctorate to know how it works. So it is quite simple. That's right. Yeah, if we just if we take a seed, we plant a seed in the ground, and we know that that seed grows up to be a tree or a wonderful plant, we don't need to know photosynthesis, and we don't need to know any of this, you know, stuff. About how it came Scientific stuff of how this got this and how the sun came mm. down and, and created this chemical and did that. You don't need to know that. All you know we need to know is that the plant had a seed, the seed goes in the ground, you water the seed, and then you get this. The same thing, it's the same way with our bodies and with the words. We really don't need to know exactly how it all happens and the and what it does, but... But it's very useful to know which particular herbs are going to help for particular weaknesses or ailments that we do have, and that's where this show is going to help others. Definitely. We'll yeah. get to that later. Exactly. So we know that herbs have been used since antiquity and have a scriptural history, and in prep for this show, I searched the term herb in the online Douay Reams Bible, and it yielded 16 places where the word herb is used. Um, we all know about frankincense and myrrh being in there, but I also found that aloes were mentioned four times, cassia had three mentions, and even garlic gets a mention. Um, balm, which was extracted from the balsam trees, in there eight times. So, Stephen, is there anything else you would like to add on the topic of herbs in the Bible? Uh, well... The Bible doesn't really get into a whole lot of the healing properties of herbs that, that I have seen and the verses that they use herbs. And um, like we know that the wise men gave our Lord a myrrh and they embalmed our Lord after death. Yes, and, mm. and buried him in myrrh again and in aloes. And we all know what aloes are, aloe vera. Yes. So to apply this topic to today's day and age, I think we have to give a bit of background. So Jacinta, would you please explain, or would you like to explain, how the mainstream medical model as we know it came to be? Yeah, well, I think the reasons to try and remain independent where it's possible from mainstream medicine uh, become apparent when we look at the history behind it and also who its main proponents were or are. Um, I should clarify, though, I'm not against mainstream medicine per se. It definitely has its place. I think if you're in an accident, you know, when your arm's on one side of the road and your leg's on the other, sticking a herbal poultice on it isn't really going to help all that much. Um, it's good for trauma, but for so many other things, it's just not needed. Um, and it's also important to note that what we now call mainstream medicine or conventional medicine has actually only been considered mainstream for a little over 100 years. Yet people these days trust doctors unquestionably like they're some sort of magical healer just because they've got a white coat and a certificate on their wall. So up until the early 1900s, there were two main schools of healers. You had what we called empirical doctors, and that's what we'd now refer to as alternative therapists. And these people would use herbs to stimulate the body's own defences. Uh, we also had allopathics, and they were what we would now consider mainstream doctors. So the allopathic used to do things like bleeding and using mercury, which they told us were good for us. Um, and they also did surgery before the days of anaesthetics. So as you can imagine, there weren't too many people rocking up um, for it. It was quite painful. Uh, there were many different forms of empirical doctors at that time. So you had homeopaths, herbalists, naturopaths, etc. And these modalities of medicine actually had good outcomes. They were able to successfully heal people. Uh, around this time, though, new techniques came out that could make a lot of money and transform medicine into an actual industry. 
Um, some of these techniques included anaesthetics and infection control. You then had the likes of J.P. Morgan, Carnegie and the Rockefellers, and alarm bells should be ringing. Yes, I'm sure they're ringing for many of our listeners. <laughs> yep, and so these people saw this, and they teamed up with doctors to finance things like radiation, surgery, and the production of synthetic drugs, and also to establish the American Medical Association. Ironically, though, J.D. Rockefeller only used a homeopath. Funny that. Mm. Um, so it was these people who were funding the medical schools, and because of that, they said, all right, we're giving you heaps of money. In return, we would like to have some board of directors of our choice installed into the universities to see that our money is being spent wisely. So as a result of that, the schools were taken over by financial interests and the empirical, empirical schools were closed down. From this point onwards, the schools were taught pharmaceutical drugs. So doctors or students of medicine were taught which particular chemicals, which particular drugs could be used to mask the side effects of particular illnesses or diseases rather than, all right, how do we get the body to actually stimulate its own defence mechanisms and um, not use a band-aid solution and heal itself, yes. Um, so these allopaths use advertising and they changed educational standards and licensing to exclude natural healers. They did a big smear campaign on them and if you... Look on the internet, you can see examples of it where they would label them as quacks, they would label their healing practices as, as quackery. Um, they blocked alternative cancer treatments, they banned them without even investigating whether or not they were effective. Um, doctors advocated expensive operations which required uh, colleges to educate doctors. And nowadays it's to this stage where doctors just go to university and learn about drugs. They know basically nothing about nutrition or about how the body can heal itself. And also remember that the Rockefellers were highly invested in the petrochemical industry, and modern medicines rely largely on petrochemicals, even um, vitamins and things that people would often think of as natural alternative medicines um, also use petrochemicals in them. And here's a statistic for you. Around 40,000 Americans each year die from prescription drugs. Despite that, though, the FDA wants to push prescriptions for supplements, as what Stephen was saying before. So you've got the FDA wanting to um, give people supplements. You've got the FDA wanting people to have prescriptions for supplements when they haven't really killed anyone. Yet, on the other hand, they're approving these drugs left, right and centre, doing only really short studies on them. People assume that um, when drugs are released, they've done a lengthy study on them. Often they haven't. Often it only goes for you know, a couple of weeks or a couple of months and only uses a very small number of people. And they're not peer-reviewed. Not peer-reviewed, yes. Yeah. So there's conflicts of interest everywhere. There's so, also the inherent problem where what human being is going to be prepared or is it actually ethical to experiment on a human with something which you have no idea what the result is going to be. Yes. So that's like a whole other aspect of mainstream modern medicine which is problematic. But anyway, sorry, continue with what you were saying. So, yeah, basically they're approving all these drugs and it's really only after they've got a large number of people taking them, once they've been claimed as being safe, only after millions of people are taking them and start having a reaction or people start dying or coming close to death or having all sorts of reactions, we see whether they actually are or are not safe. Yeah. So these days the medical industry is full of conflicts of interest. So, um, one example is that the FDA gets 40% of funding from pharmaceutical companies. That's a pretty staggering mm. amount. So they want to block herbal medicine because herbs are in abundance. They grow everywhere and you can't make money from them and they actually work. Yes. So, Stephen, you know a lot about the, the history of like, not only modern medicine but also the history of just herbal and alternative medicine as well from your course. In addition to that, I'd like to hear a little bit about that, but can you also explain to us a bit more what Jacinta touched upon and that is the benefit of consuming herbs as a whole rather than extracting the main active ingredients, as is often the case with these pharmaceutical drugs. Yes, um, by isolating the specific chemical compounds of a specific plant, brings on a lot of side effects, and that's usually what causes your side effects. Um, when you're using digitalis, for example, digitalis is the scientific name for foxglove, which is a plant, and they've all used this isolated chemical compound, digitalis, to make their 
drug digitalis. And that has caused lots of side effects. It, it helps to regulate the heart, but it can also help with um, high blood pressure. And then we know when we're taking these types of drugs that, like, if you get take off your blood pressure medication, you can instantly die because of the, the way it regulates your blood. Sounds a bit drastic to me. Yeah, because your body is made... I mean, your high blood pressure is your body's way of telling you to push the blood. So you need your pressure to go up for your blood to get converted throughout your body and your and your blood veins. And then when you got blocking it, you need the pressure. So when you take these drugs, they, well, they it just is. cut off the part of your body that's saying, okay, well, it's just basically saying, telling your brain that you don't need high blood pressure. Your body doesn't need to work harder. Your heart doesn't need to pump faster to create this pressure to get this blood to flow through these clogged arteries. So you're sort of working with nature and you're kind of working against God's design for how we, how we function yes, in many exactly. ways. Yeah, I would like to hear a little bit about probably the history of herbal medicine mm, from yeah. the Middle Ages. Yeah, onwards. like Jacinta was saying, um, with the fight between the allopaths and the empiricals, there has been a fight for quite a while. Um, the beginning of it, beginning of the herbal or beginning of able to use your body and work with your body it started with Hippocrates and everybody knows about Hippocrates. It's funny that all doctors take an oath, the Hippocratic the, Oath. The irony of They it. don't take it anymore, do they? I don't know. I don't think it's compulsory anymore. I guess I don't even believe in oaths anymore if you don't believe in God. True. Yes. So, yes, so <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just quite ironic how the, their oath is uh, first do no harm. Yes. And of course, everything they do is harmful, I believe. It was Hippocrates who said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food, wasn't it? That is right. And Hippocrates knew the body's inherent ability to heal itself. And that's basically the same thing I was saying earlier with the sun and the plants, that you don't need to know all this. Well, doctors, even though they know how your body works and they know immunology and they know all those huge names that none of us know, <laughs> make them sound so smart. <laughs> Hippocrates knew that our body has an inherent ability to heal itself and that all we need to do really is help it mm -hmm. add certain you know add the right foods and the right herbal plants with the right chemicals and basically yeah it all started with Hippocrates he was one of the very first vitalists is what we call yeah and just over time from him and then to the, to the Roman civilization through to Christendom and up until the Middle Ages, you had this development of of the understanding of the uses of herbs and the you know the healing qualities. And like even they were saying when we were having a you know private discussion before you we were talking about the monks and stuff. So why don't you share that with the listeners as well about where it went after Hippocrates? Yeah, um, the monks held a lot of the knowledge in it, and they tilled their earths, you know, in their monasteries and held it a lot. I'm not sure. I haven't read a lot of history on how they helped the communities or anything with their knowledge or... Well, they were the early forms of hospitals, I believe, weren't they? Yeah, and they grew a lot of their own herbs. Yeah. So... And then later on during the more of the... the more of the Middle Ages, I would suppose it was, that when the big money interests and the empiricals were... They wouldn't let anybody do anything. Like, a lot of the... A lot of the uh, empiricals would try to open up schools. They get shut down. Um, legislations against them. So a lot of the remedies had to come from, were handed down from mothers to daughters to taking care of families. And that's where a lot of the saying of old wives' tales has come from, because the wives have held a lot of these tales. And when you read a lot on herbal on herbs, they call it folklore. Folklore. And it's interesting because thanks possibly largely to, you know, the mainstream media, which supports big pharma and mainstream medicine, they have a very negative slant on the old wives' tale. It's ridiculed. It's scorned. It's almost as if we're expected to believe that they don't work and we should be amazed if they do, whereas yes. it should be the other way around. Yes, and those old wives who learnt from their mothers and their grandmothers they can't possibly know as much of what's the right thing to do for their own families and their children as those people with the white coats with their certificate framed on the wall. You know, it's just, it's the way it is. So interesting to what you were saying before and pertinent to today's show, 
I actually have an interest in the German medieval saint, St. Hildegard von Bingen. I'm not sure you pronounce that, Bingen or Bingen, and her writings. She's an amazing saint. She was favoured with visions from her earliest childhood, though I am primarily interested in her spiritual writings and, to a lesser extent, the sacred music she composed. I also have an interest in her works on health and healing. And she has two main books. There's Cal's, Cal's et Curé and one called Physica. And the first one I mentioned, she talks about how, thanks to original sin, after what happened, what, you know, what, what Adam's sin, how into our bodies we get these bad blends, she calls them, and how there's good and bad stuff and how God put herbs on the earth, some good and some bad. So it's clear that she's saying that we, this is what God's given us and we need to discern. And in her other book, Physica, uh, there, it's a really it's actually an exceedingly fascinating book. Um, there's a whole section on medicinal uses of plants, including herbs and spices. Now, the book is certainly worth reading for its intriguing insights into, insights into medieval Catholic healing, but I don't really think it's the most useful guidebook for our time, but that's a separate thing. But nevertheless, I'm going to give one sampling from this book. I like fennel for its varied uses and it tastes good to boot. So I'm going to read some of her section on that. I'll just get that for you and you might, listeners should find this interesting. In, she says, in whatever way it is eaten, it makes a person happy and brings to him a gentle heat and good perspiration and makes his digestion good. Its seed is also of a warm nature and is beneficial to a person's health if it is added to other herbs and medications. Eating fennel or its seed every day diminishes bad phlegm and decaying matter, keeps bad breath in check, and makes one's eyes see clearly by its good heat and beneficial powers. And anyway, that's end of quote. She goes on to explain what it's good for. She lists such things as insomnia, nasal pain, bad mucus in a sick stomach, a person whom melancholy is harming, certain tumours, the labours of childbirth, retaining health and strengthening the, the sick, and even helping sick sheep. Now, it's, it's pretty amazing. So you can see from this great saint that herbal medicine and health and healing are they're clearly in sync with God's plan for nature and it's very different to the, the mainstream medical model we have today. So I'm actually keen to look at some herbal remedies that you recommend, So, given your vast experience. So let's start with something that we all need help with from time to time and that's the common cold. Jacinta, what can you recommend for that? There are quite a few different things you can use for the common cold. My favourite thing when symptoms first appear, and this is something that you have to take straight away as soon as you feel that lump in your throat you have to take it and that is echinacea and i've had so many times where i felt the that had that uh oh feeling as i like to describe it as um and take a heap of echinacea go to sleep and the next morning when you expect to wake up and have it worse it's gone Mm. um another favorite of mine is what we like to call supertonic and this is something that everyone should have in their household And what you do is you get equal parts garlic, red onion, cayenne, horseradish, and ginger. And you blend them together in apple cider vinegar. And the apple cider vinegar acts both as a preservative and it also extracts all the goodness out of all those herbs. And so you could strain it and it lasts for years. You strain it and you have as much as you can tolerate. Um, And the herbs in that, so... uh, the herbs in that are good for disinfecting or antibacterial properties. So garlic and onion, definitely good for killing germs. Cayenne, good for getting the blood stimulated around the body, um, increased circulation, which can help healing. Um, horseradish is good for clearing out sinuses. Um, and ginger, also good for circulation. So that's probably one of my favourite recipes. Yes. And Stephen, is there anything you would like to add to what Jacinta said about this? Well, Jacinta got the best ones first. <laughs> <laughs> but in order to help with your colds, everybody knows of vitamin C, of course. Everybody takes absorbent amounts of ascorbic acid, which is, of course, an isolated compound. So what we recommend is a vitamin C complex, which has all the phytochemicals along with the vitamin Cs. And what phytochemicals are, are these millions of millions of little chemicals that only God knows. Mm. Man hasn't found yet, so they call them phytochemicals. And so rosehip is one of the major plants that have 
a very natural vitamin C. And yeah. It, yes. And so when you take the rose hip, then also, of course, you'll take lots of citrus. And of course, garlic, eat lots of garlic. Oh, yeah. Well, take, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, you can take garlic a whole range of different ways. You can take it um, orally. You can also um, crush it up, put it in a bit of Vaseline and put it on the base of your feet. And that's, your body uptakes it that way. Yeah. Well, I used to, well, I don't have to, I don't do it now, but back in the day before I was, you know, sort of figured out a game plan to get on top of these things before they set in, I would occasionally go down, you know, with a bad cold or flu. And if the standard things weren't working, I would slice the garlic and place it under the soles of my feet and put the socks on. And that's when the whole family knew, wow, <laughs> wow, she's got garlic on the soles of her feet. But The Vaseline is helpful though because I tried that once and the garlic actually can burn. I um, didn't, doesn't bother me. But what I did notice is that within moments you can taste the garlic in your mouth it transfers through yes. your skin into your blood yes. and you know you, you it's as if you were eating it and i think that's useful for certain people who might have like delicate stomachs who aren't used to the voluminous raw garlic consumption that we are it can be harsh on the stomach yeah well i'm used to it but for people who can't they might feel nos nausea or you know yeah. it might just be upsetting so it, that would be a good way to get the good substances into your bloodstream without having to go through the digestive tract. Another thing that I, I forgot to mention before that I'd like to take is just the cayenne on its own. Um, and the way, and I've actually had a few colds, or they would have been colds if I hadn't taken it, I believe, um, where I'll take a cayenne tincture or you can just get um, cayenne powder or however you want it. So this is the same basically as chilli. Basically chilli, yeah. The hotter the better. Right. Um, and... You can either take it orally and burn your mouth <laughs> or what I like to do is get a little gel capsule and put it in that and swallow it. And burn your stomach. Burn your stomach. You can actually tell the moment where the capsule is opened and you <laughs> feel the warmth um, wow. in the stomach. But, yeah, I take two, maybe two capsules if I feel like I'm getting a cold as well and it disappears. Wow. Well, yeah. similar to what you're recommending, I used to catch colds a few times per year, but I very rarely have a cold or flu set in these days because I'm able to pick up that first sign that you talked about before. And as soon as I pick up that, that those early signs, I implement my, my herbal game plan. And I've actually found that the echinacea tincture is definitely the best. Over the years, on and off, I've tried echinacea in dried in capsules. And all, and you can't. You're not really supposed to take this all the time either. It's something no, that your you body take can actually, when you need it. So, your body can become um, can get up a desensitized to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So but, you only take it when you need to stimulate your immune system. Yeah, you shouldn't take it for more than about ten days in a row. I think I um, never but, need to. I yeah. just take it the once. I take two droppers of the echinacea tincture mm. in a little tiny bit of water, and I also do this other thing. I take. I have these things called Ki Immune Defense and Energy Formula. And it's just a herbal combination of astragalus, shiitake mushroom, and olive leaf. And I kid yeah. you not, like two droppers of the echinacea tincture, one of those capsules, I go to bed, and it's gone. And you're usually fine. But, yeah. the, um, but you do need to know about all these other things you mentioned because unlike us, our children aren't able to tell us or they don't yeah. notice it. So we do get the colds going to the whole family and there's 10 mm -hmm. children and there's all that stuff. So you've got to have... Uh, have other things because once you miss that window of opportunity, there's the other yeah, thing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. of defenses. So, yeah, we make the what we call flu as well, and I often don't have horseradish on hand, and it actually works without it as it well. It does work without it, yeah. And often we don't even leave it to get to the stage where we're going to strain the liquid off yeah. because it's we got to leave it that long and we're actually eating it like pulp. <laughs> You've had it at salad dressing before. I actually put it on eggs because I actually don't take it for like medicinal reasons because I don't get the colds, but the children do. And I just think sometimes, oh, so Tabasco, let's throw a few spoons of this on. So it actually tastes quite good. And yeah, fresh raw garlic every day, like almost every day, well, I'll consume that. And I think that's a very important preventative as well. And it just, lets you know who your friends are too. Well, that's something else I've should say is what many people don't realize is when you cook garlic and St. Hildegard points out in her books that garlic should always be consumed raw and onions should be generally consumed cooked yeah. but you have the leeway on the latter but if you cook garlic and eat it like many of us do it then 
it's not actually good for you, but it tastes darn good. But you then get the terrible breath and the, the terrible smell. Like, you know, everyone knows oh, they've had garlic, they've had garlic prawns or garlic marinara. But when you consume it raw, you get the initial garlic flavour in your mouth and people can smell on your breath initially. Mm-hmm. And it smells like fresh garlic, which is, not, which is not an offensive smell. Fresh garlic doesn't smell bad. It's just that processed, digested, cooked mm. garlic that's disgusting. And you don't get that and it soon passes. So I, I have no issue if someone smells a bit like fresh garlic for five minutes until it's out of their mouth area. But you don't have that whole garlic odor thing. But, yeah, that's just a, that's on the side. I also drink rosehip tea. You mentioned rosehip tea. But yes, I was just yeah. wondering, Stephen, because you did mention that, I don't – I use an acerola cherry extract for vitamin C. Is, yes. Would you say that's as good as rosehip or is yes. rosehip better? acerola cherry is one of the higher forms of vitamin C. The rose hips, we just all know, grow everywhere, and a lot of people can grab them and easy. Acerola, I'm not exactly sure what part of the country from it comes from. Um, probably more in the tropical parts, I think. Yeah, I think so. Not everybody has access to that, but True. rose hips grow up in cold climates. Uh, we have them in Montana, all over in the wild, even wild wild rose hips. And I believe I've got, I think it's 40 times more vitamin C than oranges. Oh, Yeah. Yes, yeah, so they're a higher source than oranges. That's good. It's roll of cherries, um, by all means, if you get your hands on them. Or, you know, you want to make sure it's a good unadulterated source as well. Yeah. And so I drink rosehip tea sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Would you say that that's strong enough to make any difference if one's actually fighting a cold? Or Yes. Oh, is it? Yes. You drink two or three cups a day and you're getting plenty of vitamin C to help fight your cold. Well, at this point, we would like to remind you that you are listening to The Catholic Home on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Teresa, and I'm joined by Jacinta and Stephen Mocker of Eureka Wellness, and today we've been discussing herbal medicine. We want to remind you that The Catholic Home is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. Now, Stephen, I understand you were able to heal yourself with a badly burnt finger. Would you like to tell us about that and and what you used? (laughs) First, maybe I should tell you how it happened. (laughs) Rather embarrassing, but um, I've been in the telecommunication business for quite some time, and we do a lot of work with DC power. Yeah, when I I was hooking up these big batteries one day, and I crossed a power to the ground, and I had my hand on this bolt that I was ready to screw in and power doesn't DC power doesn't shock you but it'll weld and melts in mm. metal instantly so I was holding on to this screw and at and in an instant that screw melted in my hand oh my in matters of half a second so I just burnt basically the tips of them it wasn't fun no and so my boss came in made me go to the hospital so I went to the hospital you didn't want to of course not. <laughs> so I just wrapped it up. Immediately what I did was put it in cold water. And that's what anybody should do when they have burns is automatically. For at least 10 minutes. If not longer. Even if it stops hurting. Just keep it going because as the burns start burning, if you're not cooling it off, the burn can linger and just, and just burn tissue deeper and yeah. deeper. With, so you want to keep it cool. Get it cold right away. Well, I didn't. It's, uh, I didn't have any cold water. I just had water that was sitting in my car on a hot day. But I used it. <laughs> nothing? Yeah. Anyways, yeah. So I went to the the doctor, sat in there, and they gave me some cold stuff to put on it. And the doctor didn't like it. He said, well, you got a third-degree burn. And we need to set you up with a burn, either burn specialist, I think it was, or a burn surgeon. I can't remember. Pretty sure he said burn specialist. Said okay, so he gave me the thing, released me, went back to work. They wrapped my hand up, they wrapped them all up pretty good. So I went back to work and we kind of spent that day. After work, stopped off at Walmart and grabbed an aloe vera plant. You did have an aloe vera plant in your possession. Shame on you. Yeah, oh, okay. I was living okay. in a hotel. Okay, that's stupid. Your, <laughs> your excuse. <laughs> and yeah, so I stopped off at Walmart and grabbed a little baby aloe vera. And what I did is I just cut off one of the leaves and I pasted it right over the top. And then I bandaged the whole plant right there on it. 
By the next morning, the pain was completely gone. So that's after you slit the outer hard yes, skin the and the gel And is I just leave the, just the leave the gel on the leaf. Yes. And just put the whole leaf on the burn. Which is amazing because with aloe vera it. plants, sorry, with aloe vera plants, the bigger and older the plant is, the more potent its healing ability. So the fact that even a little baby one managed mm-hmm. to do that, to have that effect on your finger, shows how powerful they are. Yeah. Yes. It's amazing how it just brings that burn, that burn feeling. Everybody knows that when you get burned, it's just that feeling of a burn. It's quite painful. Yes. It can be if it's a bad one. Yeah. And uh, it just, it'll take that right away. Usually overnight, if, I mean, if you just got a household burn or something on your stove, like a lot of the women get when they're cooking in the kitchens mm-hmm. what are you looking at me for <laughs> <laughs> just take a slab of aloe vera yeah so we've house. got we've got many we, we, yes. prop, we, we cultivate them here um and they actually have on the scale of the people who are into into um gardening they're actually very easy to grow and propagate. The, I really, haven't died, it, so. it, it, it's anyone, anyone who's got a bit of yeah, dirt. Yeah, and they grow indoors, look at all your windows, see all. Yeah, and even in terrible soil, they are yeah. amazing. So, so is that all you did? Just aloe vera, nothing else? Well, that was just first night. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, that kind of just helped it, but it took about, it was a third degree burn, and it was the tops of my fingertips. And I burned it all the way to the bone, at least. And I had no fingerprints or no nothing. So that was your time to commit some crimes. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's actually a picture on your website of the before and the after, too, isn't there? Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, so so you've got these these bones exposed and you've got burns. Yeah, and and I didn't have anything, really, because I was, like I was saying, I was traveling and... I basically lived in and out of hotels for years. So I couldn't keep an array of salves and stuff, which is what I really needed. I could have used tinctures that I did have, and but I didn't. So I was pretty much stuck with just my little baby aloe vera plant. So what did, was there any scar tissue? Like, did, did it... Like, just, it, it, I, just aloe vera? Just aloe vera. Well, what I had, I had this... Thing the Dr. Christopher product had it was called um, black black, black drawing ointment. Okay. And it was the only thing I could find that had comfort because oh, like comfort. Comfort yes. does not comfort is one of your major self proliferants and wonderful healers, and it is a burn paste that we make up for people with burns. But I didn't have any of that. I didn't have any of that, so I was utilizing with what I had, and there was this it's a black drawing ointment, which is basically for drawing out infections. But there was comfort in it. But there's enough comfort in there. To do that. Yeah, there was just comfort in it. So I started just lathering that was a salve. So I just mm-hmm. lathered it on, taped up my fingers, and then every other day I would drop some cayenne on it for just to make sure I wasn't getting my infection going. And then th- that wasn't too bad. The one that burnt really bad was I would dip it in apple cider vinegar cool. to help with Why? infection. Oh, of course, because with third degree burns, you have yeah. all that other aspect mm. of the infection setting in. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people know that some brand of stuff, you put vinegar on it. Yeah. So. And how long did you say it took you to completely heal? In three weeks, it was completely, completely no bad. scar tissue? No scar no tissue, infection. and all my fingerprints are there. So you can't commit any more crimes? No more crimes for me. Actually, I can't speak highly enough for Comfrey. It's something that we grow here in huge amounts. In fact, if we start off with a little tiny plant that my mother-in-law very kindly gave me on, on my request, and I now have an enviable comfy plantation. It's just incredible. We've used that here with in our ointments for uh, diaper rash or nappy rash if you're Australian. And just we, I sometimes just juice the leaves when I'm doing juicing, cold press juicing, throw some leaves in. Mm. And it's just incredible. I had a burn as well. Not Nothing, nothing as horrific <laughs> as what you just described, but it was, I think it was a second degree. Mm-hmm. It was something that was, it was not, um, it wasn't just a minor one. And then, yeah, the comfrey really did make a difference. And aloe vera, of course, aloe vera gel and comfrey, just those two things. So, That's... yeah, I can't speak highly enough. Well, didn't that. your mother-in-law have a sheep that broke its leg? Yes, that was interesting because um, my husband, Damien, and his mother have both told the story. There was something like that when they, when they were growing up, when he was growing up, they had a sheep that, as Jacinta said, broke its legs. And 
it instinctively knew, like, because unlike humans who can block off, um, you know, what God's trying to tell us, <laughs> animals don't have that free will. They have the instincts. So it instinctively knew it broke out of its paddock and got into her comfy plant, plant, plantation, gorged on it, and completely healed itself rapidly of its broken bone. So this is this is the sort of thing. And th- this is how effective it is. It's incredible. And that's, I think, in a lot of traditional herbal folklore, they used to call it bone knit. Knit bone. Knit bone, sorry, knit bone, yes. correct. And they bone. even just, I don't know if it's true, but they used to talk about that if you throw in some bones, like if you're cooking, I throw in some bones into a pot of water with enough comfy and you stir it, they will actually knit together. I haven't heard that. I don't know. But, and, yeah, because well, yeah, it's a self-proliferant. Yeah, and, and St. Hildegard recommends it as well. But, yeah, so. And that's one that they've actually tried to ban, and the reason for that is because they've done, um, they've tried to create drugs where they've isolated the active compound in the comfrey, and that happened to um, be hard on the liver. And so they've said, okay, well, if that's the case, comfrey must be bad. But what they don't realise is that if comfrey is working as a whole, it balances itself out, it works synergistically, and it doesn't have that problem unless you're taking it in huge, huge quantities, which nobody's really going to. And even then you still got the other stuff in yeah. there as well, which is all playing together. But they, they did, they banned it for internal use in Australia. Yes. But you are still allowed to use it externally, but it's very hard to find. in America as well. It's oh, the same true. in America if as well. You, it's hard you, to find anywhere. And it was based off a study in 1980 by a man named Culver. And he used rats. And he isolated this compound called pyrol... Oh, I can't... <laughs> no one can pronounce that word. <laughs> yeah, pyrolizidine alkaloids. Yeah. And it's these alkaloids that a lot of these people have a problem with. Um, heroin is made from an alkaloid. A lot of the uh, cocaine, these are co- these are alkaloids out of these certain plants and are used for the illegal drug. But when used as a whole with the other alkaloids that God has made them in their natural form, is used is able to be assimilated by the body and any poisonous and parts of it acting together with the other constituents of it just they just work together to where it doesn't hurt your body yes and comfrey yep. is one of these with this paralyzing alkaloid and that they did this test on when they isolated it and they fed it to these rats and injected these rats and these rats all got like liver disease and died and when it and you come about it, this 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 compound is only 0.02% to 0.07%. But they extracted it out into huge quantities. They extracted it out towards 100%, of course. Mm-hmm. And then they injected it in these rats. These rats died from it. And then, Well, you could do the same with alcohol. You could do it with if anything, If you inject yeah. 100% alcohol into a rat, I'm yeah. you would kill it. But people anything. consume alcohol in, in, in you know, diluted form. Yeah, this study shows... Uh, I'll read a little bit of read a little bit of it from you. It says there are four cases involving humans which do implicate comfrey. One involved a woman who was fully diagnosed as a having venal occlusive disease and did consume a quart of herbal tea per day that contained comfrey. A second case involved a boy with Crohn's disease who was treated with conventional medicine for some time before going over to comfrey root and acupuncture. The long running malnutrition may have weakened the liver, predisposing it to the venal obstruction problem. Comfrey root was blamed. The drugs were not considered as possibilities. The third case involved a woman who overdosed 10 cups of comfrey tea a day and handfuls of comfrey pill. After nine years, she had a serious liver problem. The fourth case became a fatality. A vegetarian, given to specific food binges for weeks, took an unknown amount of comfrey for flu-like symptoms, possibly over a period of four months. The particulars of this case are blurred. All cases involved comfrey. In at least three, there are suggestions of overdose or abuse of the plant. Which plant? We don't know. They're sounds, also, yeah. Uh, sounds a bit sus to me. Anyway, but so moving right along, now as we get older, uh, many of us realize the need to start taking care of our heart health and the heart. Which herbs can we use for this? For your heart? Yeah. Hawthorne berry has been the best herb for a heart. It has. Al- no, these ones is an alkaloid. These are phytochemicals <clears throat> that come in and pr- 
protect and coat your heart cells and can actually rebuild heart tissue really? which is very yeah it's very wonderful and it also allows your your heart to live on less oxygen a bit so, like living up in the mountains here <laughs> yeah well for when you're having a heart attack mm. you can have a longer heart attack Oh, so you have a more severe heart attack. Still have a more severe heart attack, actually. which will give you more time to get to the hospital. Oh, okay. And you would still be able to be okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Anything else? Cayenne is another wonderful herb for the heart. Cayenne automatically goes straight to the heart as soon as you take it, and then out to your extremities. Ginger goes out to your extremities first, and then into your heart. So these are th a three duo herb that. And work wonders on the heart. Do you recommend them as preventative or like maintenance health, mm -hmm. and rather than wait till you have a heart event? Yeah, it's a yeah. preventative thing. If you, of course, if you know you have bad arteries, blood pressure, and all that, you want to maintain lots of garlic in your system because garlic is a great blood thinner. And I know my mom has managed to lower her blood pressure quite a bit through taking um, Stephen's heart tincture and his cholesterol. Oh, um, that's tincture. great. I actually am a huge consumer of garlic, raw garlic and chili. And I have incredibly no, never had a problem with any blood pressure issues. Through 10 pregnancies, it's always maintained exactly perfect. The doctors are, oh, your, your, your blood pressure is perfect. So there must be some, I, I would say there'd be some preventative quality to it there. Yeah, of course. And then if acute heart attacks, you want cayenne, well, has been known to bring people out of heart attacks. Immediately, so well, but that, shouldn't we all be carrying cayenne tincture herb, in your yes. first aid kit? Yeah, I think there should, should be one in everyone's glove box in their car and in their yeah. Home everywhere. Yeah, it's the number one emergency herb. Well, we've known relatives who've had you know heart problems and after taking the cayenne have managed to keep them at bay. Yes, and in one case it was getting worse and worse and really um, repeated events getting closer and more intense. And as soon as he started on your Actually, it was Stephen who kindly gave him the uh, the the, the uh, cayenne. cayenne or chili tincture. It hasn't had he hasn't had problems since. Yes. So I mean, this is um this is this is important knowledge to have and to share. I don't know, and it's and it's so simple. It's like like I was saying earlier, you don't need degrees and stuff. You just no. common sense common and a little sense. bit of research. A little bit yeah, of research and yeah, the ability to want to learn. Yes. Well, Jacinta, would you like to explain about the kinds of herbal supplements that you took during your pregnancy? Well, I took quite a few things um, during my pregnancy. One that I took consistently was red raspberry leaf, and I took that um, in the form of a tea and a tincture as well, but mainly tea. That's high in vitamins A, B1 and C, and it's also good for um, helping if, if there is any hemorrhaging or anything like that during um, childbirth. It helps with that. Um, I took nettle as well. That's also high in vitamins A, B, C. It has silica and it's also a diuretic, so it stops um, water retention. Um, nettle as well, just as a side note, is supposed to be good, very good for, it's good for hair. So if you can make um, nettle tea, cool it down, make it into a hair wash and wash your hair with that. It's also supposed to be good for arthritis. Now, I haven't tried this, but... Um, it's because of the, the high boron content. It could be actually, but it, it is. is also the it all it, it stings obviously, and so it has these little micro needles in it, and they say that if you basically whip your skin with it, <laughs> and I haven't tried it, I keep telling my mum she needs to try it. Um, Maybe she has to wait till it gets in her penance. <laughs> oh, we actually always joke that um, all these herbs that she spent all of our childhood trying to get rid of from our garden spraying them and digging them up now we, we're saying oh can't wait for the stinging nettle to come in oh so because we know now of their um herbal their healing properties so it's supposed to actually be good for arthritis your hand or if it's got arthritis on your hand your hand apparently will swell right up and then when it goes down um it's supposed to be relieved from it from the pain so as i say i haven't tried it I haven't got arthritis but yeah. i've read multiple and multiple sources that that can help um one thing I took, which I hated taking, but I did, was molasses. Um, and that is very high in iron. Um, it's high in calcium, magnesium, selenium, a whole heap of um, other vitamins and minerals. And that's basically the good part of sugar that yes. they've extracted out. 
Um, I also took a superfood supplement, and that's high in B vitamins, iron, um, has a lot of nutritional yeast in it, which is good for milk supply um, once you're nursing. There's like the, the mountain nutrition that you read yes. a lot of cells, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and also while I was in hospital um, having my baby, I it was basically three days where they didn't feed me um, because they didn't know whether I was going to have to have a C-section or not. And so they wouldn't feed me. Um, because if you have the surgery, they, they want you to have an empty stomach. And so Stephen kept smuggling in his amount of nutrition to me um, and it did the job. Yeah. Um, so I took that. Um, another great one was wheat germ oil, which is basically pure vitamin E. And that's good for helping the um, skin to stretch out and then stretch back into place um, afterwards. Um, and while I'm still nursing, I'm continuing to take the, the superfoods of the mountain nutrition um lately i've been getting into taking kefir which i know isn't a herb but it's very high in probiotics well i took pretty much the same things that you mentioned during pregnancy and i've had 10 over the years and i first got an interest in herb medicine in my first pregnancy and i've done some you know experimenting over the years and what i've actually found is when i took red raspberry leaf in capsule form in the recommended quantities that they have on the packet it really didn't do anything but mm-hmm. when I took it in quantities, you know, way more than they said, mm-hmm. it was incredible for delivery and recovery. I would say it was astonishing in as far as its effects for, like I said, both delivery and recovery afterwards. So I would say to any expectant mother or future expectant mother to really do give red raspberry leaf, give it a try and take way more than they recommend. And that's something... Now that you mentioned that, Teresa, is that people will often dismiss herbal medicine and say, "Oh, I, you know, I took two capsules of this and it didn't work," because we have this mentality where, where you know, we take um, a tablet of actual um, medicine and that fixes our symptoms, and so we assume that the same thing is going to be the case with herbs. But you, what you need to understand is that with medicine, they've extracted um, out elements of it so it's way more potent than what the herbs are so you can't just take a little bit of a herb and expect it to work you need to actually take a lot more yes and the hangover from modern medicine is you're scared to take more than the yes. prescribed dose because it will be harmful whereas you don't have that problem with herbs you, you can't really it'd be very difficult to overdose on herbs yeah, your body gets rid of anything other any excess to what you need yes and i'll say with as far as um, when you're nursing, I would say I've tried all a huge range of the herbs <laughs> that they recommend because I've had each times where I've needed to try to increase milk supply. And hands down, fenugreek beats every other one. Mm. And it's also usually the cheapest. So I would definitely say go straight for the fenugreek. And it definitely does have a drastic effect on your milk supply. And I think um, with, so we're just starting to get a little one on a little bit of solids at the moment. And something that's actually quite nutritious and also easy for them to get down and it can also be taken for invalids who are you know recovering or trying finding it hard to keep foods down is slippery elm oh yeah um and so i've been adding that to a little bit of banana because it's a it's a quite a sort of mucilaginous um consistency it goes down well it's very high in a range of vitamins i think very high in b vitamins in particular mm-hmm. um and so that's good I'm i mean a good old slippery elm gruel it's like it's fantastic stuff. Yeah. yeah, you can add a, add a little bit of it to some um, milk or some water, add a little bit of maple syrup. You shouldn't give honey to children who are too young, but if they're if they're older, you can add a bit of honey or some cinnamon and yeah. mix it all up, and it's actually very good for you, and it tastes quite good too. Fantastic. So now here in Australia, um, like most parts of the world, especially during the summer months, there are all sorts of creatures around. So what do we do if you get bitten or stung by, say, a spider or a bee? Well, one of the best things that we can do is a plant that grows in everybody's yard. And a lot of people might not even know of it. It's this plant called plantain. And there's two different species of it, and they both do the same thing. They both have this effect of stings and bites. And there's the broadleaf plantain, which most people are aware of. And then there's the narrowleaf plantain which I've only seen grow over in like Washington state area and in the Pacific Northwest. Broadleaf plantain I've seen grown here in Australia. It's grown in Montana, California, pretty much everywhere I've been. And it's kind of hard to explain. It's got broad leaves and the top comes on. There's little shoots 
I know it's a plant that mum spent years trying to get out of her lawn, and now we're happy Look, when it pops up. It grows wild here, like the dandelion, and then you have to cultivate yes, it. But just, just, just tell just, just, just what do you do when, say, you've got a bee? Yeah, thing? you get stung okay. by a bee, and what you'll do is you'll pick the plant, usually the leaf of it, and then you just put it in your mouth and you chew it up to where you get the juices flowing a little bit, and you just put it on the sting, and eventually it just draws out the entire sting and the venom. Yeah, so I had a friend once we were at the lake and she got this bee sting and her legs swelled up probably to the size of a peach. It was pretty big like that. And mm -hmm. I had her take the plantain. Or I went out and found her the plantain. I told her how to do it. And me and her boyfriend went fishing. And when we came back probably like 20 minutes later and it was completely gone. Wow. Look, we've used it here. I've, I was having increasing allergies to bee stings. As soon as I started doing the plantain, it went from getting instead of getting worse it was almost it was incomparable improvement from the previous bee sting it hardly it just immediately took it all, all away hardly anything which was drastically different to when i hadn't used it and my children often get stung with bull ants and it's just amazing we just put it on i've tried various things and i'm telling you that the plantain beats them all hands down oh yeah and it's it's extremely effective and yeah, very quick amazing. um and if you want to make it more potent you can also dry it so cultivate it dry it so there's no moisture in it get some good quality olive oil um steep it in the olive oil in a warm place for well, the, lo the longer you're going to do it the stronger um and then you can strain it and use the oil or if you wanted to use make that into an ointment by adding some beeswax you can also do that right i always carry the oil i make the oil and, and use that i've never actually tried the ointment but the oil works very well yeah mm, well. yes here's another story actually from dr christopher on plantain he uh he had a man coming to him that stepped on a on a pitchfork stuck right through his foot Ooh. and the blood infection started started setting in and they and it would, he didn't do anything about it until he just couldn't walk anymore and he finally found dr Males. christopher <laughs> found Dr. Christopher <laughs> and Dr. Christopher had the plantain ointment on it and just smothered it all over. It was so effective that they could actually see and watch the blood infection line that you usually see coming yeah. up your, your, your leg reverse. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Well, um, yeah, one more thing is echinacea is actually quite good if you get things like um, snake bites, spider bites, because they can all, um, quite often be an infection associated with that. So quickly taking copious amounts of echinacea is actually um, quite good for making sure yeah. that that's And what else it. I do, because I have a very um, high allergy to bee stings and it can actually cause a swelling, a stroke, a constriction. Yes. So I carry lobelia extract or tincture as well. So I would put the plantain on the sting yeah. to stop the local uh, swelling and all that and the pain. And I would take the lobelia tincture to prevent to keep the open up the airway so you don't have a suffocation issue yeah lobelia is fantastic um for asthmatics or people who have you know anaphylactic tendencies yes. and things like that definitely yeah opens up the airway passages yes very useful as well so actually we've run out of time so as we close out this episode we have covered the amazing topic of god's pharmacopoeia via herbs and i want to thank you jacinta and stephen for your time and being with us on this episode is there anything else you would like to add in summary before we close that episode I think the main thing to take away is that while many other aspects of our life can be controlled, what grows in nature cannot. God has given us the wonderful gift of herbs, and we need to make use of them. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, we've met many people since we began our Eureka Wellness business um, who are disillusioned with the medical system because they look for band-aid solutions rather than getting to the cause. And I think it's getting to the cause of our illnesses that's really going to make us well again. And when you're raising a family, knowledge of how to do this through using herbs is definitely invaluable. Indeed, it's parallels with the spiritual life. Definitely. Okay. Yes. Put a bandit on it, you have to, have to get to the root of the yes, problem. Yes, indeed. Well, that's great. Well, once again, uh, Jacinta and Stephen, thank you for your time. And we will talk to you again next month as we continue this series. Thank God bless you. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Teresa. If you have any questions for Jacinta or Stephen Mocker of Eureka Wellness or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at catholichome at truerestoration.org and we will pass along your questions or comments to Jacinta and Stephen. And we would also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us is strictly confidential. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found the show to be informative, helpful or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. 
Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosie, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Teresa. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.